Uh, Cal, what are you doing? Haven't you fucked around with that thing enough? I just, I'm trying to install this language protocol into this thing, but dummy old me remembers that I don't speak any other languages, so I have no idea what this machine is saying anymore. I'm, I feel that way the entire time we've been in this room. Do you speak any other languages? Uh, hardly English. Does that count? Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got yeah, mostly a first language. One. Yeah. Um, okay, let's try a few of these options. Let's see. Perfevor, smetila di takami. How about this one? Megas vinspecti ti and filmin di shatna. Or maybe this one. Misinto bonita. Okay, lindo misinto bonita. Ingenious or why brilliant? That's the money one right there. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the machine. The machine. Dave, what is your favorite swear in a different language? Oh, I don't know. Give me a language. I'll see if I know any swear words in it. Uh, French. French. Uh, I don't remember. Just uh, merde, merde, merde. And uh, tabernacle. Our French listeners have stopped listening uh, all of a sudden. Our, oh, hey. We just got to knock on our guest door here again. That thing's One very second. active lately. I it's, think you should check that out next. Yeah, I know. Let me just, let me just open this up here. Oh. Hi, hey. Jose. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How about you? You know, we're doing okay here. Just trying to fend off, you know, the apocalypse of the entire world. Aren't we all? Oh, yeah. Well, that's why we're all on computer screens so that we don't, uh, we can still keep our social distancing. Kyle, intact. Kyle, so it's not working. What do you mean? The apocalypse is here. It's oh, I see outside. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, the apocalypse has actually come already for us. Maybe this is a great kind of a bit of um, synchronicity here because, Jose, have you ever seen the movie All About My Mother? Have I? Are we talking about All About My Mother directed by Pedro Almodovar? I believe so. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I have a few times, actually. I love it more than I love myself. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Wow. Great. Glowing and That's very high praise. Mm. Uh, well, let's do this. Mm, I don't love myself a lot. Algún día tendrás que contármelo todo sobre mi padre. No basta que me digas que murió antes de que yo naciera. No es un asunto fácil de contar. Me imagino. Si no, ya me lo habrías contado. No he podido dormir en toda la noche pensando en tu hijo. Recuerdo perfectamente su rostro bajo la lluvia, con el cuaderno en la mano. ¡Esteban! ¿Y qué más te ha contado? Pues todo. Me lo ha contado todo. Jose, why don't you start? What is your history with this film? Like a lot of Almodovar movies, uh, this one was, I, I was introduced to it in my high school film class. My teacher was really into Almodovar. He showed us quite a few. And back then, I think this was the first one that really got to me. And mm. I don't think I knew just why, like why just yet. I don't know. I love a lot of Almodovar. I don't even know if I would call this one my favorite, but it's definitely very essentially his. From like the really overt stuff to like the little details, there's so much of his style that just speaks to me in a lot of ways and that I feel like has garnered an audience because of very specific reasons and how it connects to other people. I think I think he's a special filmmaker. No, he's definitely a very unique uh, individual for sure. Like he is, uh, you can almost, he's one of those people you can almost tell by just watching the film, even if there was no sound. I like, oh, this looks like it's a, it's an Almodovar. Yeah. Uh, I'm watching. Dave, how about yourself? Do you have any type of history with uh, Pedro? I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, name me a famous movie that I should know that he's directed. Uh, the other big ones off the top of my head that I know of are Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, no. Volver. Uh, in the skin, uh, in the skin uh, I man. The skin I live in. The skin I live in. That's the other. Big oh, one is that, that the Scarlett of. Johansson one? No, that's under the no. skin. What skin I live but, in? Yeah. It's a. Uh, uh, it's Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nope. Okay, so I'm gonna say no. Then <laughs> I'm just gonna guess. <gasps> you uncultured swine. No, uh, I do enjoy being called that, Kyle. On a <laughs> yeah. Wait, what day is sure. it? So this is my big shameful thing I need to say. 
I've never seen a Pedro Almodovar film until last week when I watched Pain and Glory, uh, which is the one that just came out last year, and it was nominated for Best International Feature at the Academy Awards. Wonderful. Uh, and Antonio movie. Banderas is nominated for Best Actor. So I watched that, and then I knew we were doing this episode anyway, so then... um. I mean, we're about to go and watch this movie, Dave, I guess, for the first time in the nice fiction save. of this podcast. Nice so, save, so about, uh, I'm about to see my second <laughs> Pedro film here. So I feel like there's a lot of catch up that I need to do, uh, which I'm excited to do. I mean, it's an exciting filmmaker. Exactly. Uh, and I want to see more of it after I've now encountered these two films. So let's do this. Let's go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll watch the film and we'll go and talk about it. Hey everyone, it's me, Kyle, everybody's favorite almost apocalypser. You know, some people criticize me for being kind of blasé about the possibility that the machine could wipe out millions of people. But I'm just like your favorite doctor on television. I mean, it's only a million people. That's just the cost of business. It's not like it's the economy that's at risk. Anyways, I'm here to tell you that Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Pod Power. With Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode... We're giving a pod power shout out to Bookwomen. Bookwomen is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Hosts Tanya Bell, Sheila LaRock, and Kayla Larson are three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland. Now they have banded together to chat books, culture, and anything else that comes up. Bookwoman has recently been added to Cowboy and Indians podcast incubator program for emerging voices that contribute positively to the indigenous podcasting space. You can find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. This week, Creative Block is also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's hear from one of the great shows. Have you ever watched a movie and there was an actor in it that was all wrong for the part they were playing? Have you ever wanted to imagine someone else in the role? Never fear. That's precisely why repodcasting exists. Listen as co-hosts and cousins Janet and Lucia recast their favorite and not-so-favorite movies with their dream cast. They also take a moment each episode to imagine which role in the film should have been given to Tony Danza, because, let's face it, Tony Danza would make every movie better. Repodcasting is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can find repodcasting wherever you listen to podcasts or at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening. Okay, well, Dave, you uh, got to read a movie, which was fun. <laughs> I actually watch all my movies in subtitles. You know what? Interestingly enough, I like to turn subtitles on even on English stuff sometimes. Well, I, um, I used to be very opinionated against it, but then after uh, falling in love with my wife, Helen Yan, mm -hmm. a KonMari specialist, <laughs> shout out. Uh, yeah. Uh, she is from Taiwan, so she grew up, she had to listen to, uh, watch all movies with English subtitles. And so mm -hmm. I, by de facto, uh, have to as well. So, uh, also your son has to go to bed very early sometimes. Oh, we don't, yeah, really, the volume's up. We're quite, yeah. uh, brutal parents that way. Actually, Jose, I have a question for you. Like, do yeah. you, does it matter to you if there's subtitles in films? I know there's some people out there that are very anti-subtitles, oh, but I don't know if it, it doesn't really matter to me very much. I need subtitles a lot of the time. Um, mm. not, I mean, I grew up watching things with subtitles, English as a second language. I'm just so used to them. It's Even if I'm watching stuff in Spanish with subtitles, because I'm watching it with other people, I find myself reading them um, just mm. subconsciously. I like subtitles. I, yeah. I I usually, I can't watch a British movie without subtitles. I don't oh. know what they're saying. <laughs> we'll talk about well, whether we can watch British movies at all. That's, that's a <laughs> yeah. theme so far this year, isn't it, Kyle? Well, yeah, we've not liked the two British films we've seen. But I will do the same thing. There is a few that I have to do the same thing because their regional accent is so thick that I literally have no idea what they're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even no. though they're speaking English. So I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. It's it's a lot. Like, I watched uh, Darkest Hour in theaters and I was mm. like, I have yeah. no idea what this guy is saying. <laughs> it's just... Something about storing beaches. That's about all you need to know. Yeah. So I'm going to have to make this blanket apology here at the very beginning because I'm about to massacre the Spanish language as we go through this. I'm, it's not going to be pretty. Good thing we so, have an advisor. 
That's right. Uh, so we are talking about all about my mother or Todo Sobre Mi Madre, which was released April. Yeah, <laughs> maybe uh, April 16th, 1999 is when it was released in Spain. And then later, November 24th, 1999 in North America. The only other major release was Life, starring Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, written by Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone, directed by Ted Demi. Either of you seen the movie Life starring Eddie Murphy? I have no idea. That. Do I've wanna, seen the. Uh, what's that? Do you want to know what's creepy about the algorithm, Kyle? Is that? Uh, that thing pops up on my Netflix now, and I think which it's one? Life. That's it. Really? Yeah, I think <laughs> well, it's because it. you've brought back to me. What's it like? I don't know. You've brought it up so many times in casual conversation. The machine is listening. I didn't watch it. Dave Todd is seven as Kane as vida. I haven't watched a Martin Lawrence or an Eddie Murphy movie in many years, and Life <laughs> right. keeps popping up. Well, you have Bad Boys 3 to look forward to, Dave. It's so. creepy. Currently, it is rated 7.8 on IMDb, which I feel is a little bit low. Uh, spoiler alert on my opinion of the movie. Uh, 87 is on Metacritic. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, 98% by critics and 93% by the users of Rotten Tomatoes. So pretty high favorability. It is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. Side note. Not that I would know this because the machine gave us this movie to the watch. Correct copy. But if you, tr- but if you try to rent this in, uh, in <laughs> on iTunes in Canada, you might only get a French subtitled version. Weirdly enough, uh, not that I've now wasted, uh, not wasted, but I've spent ten dollars <laughs> on on movies this week. Yeah, it would be um, like we both did, Kyle. Yeah, how I know. annoying would Who, that be? How would that? I, it would be very annoying if we lived in that alternate reality. Hashtag. You can also theater. rent via YouTube or Google Play Movies. Uh, the budget was not available as of this writing because we could not figure out the uh, the budget of this movie. But its opening in North America, I want to be very specific, was $50,000, but that was in four theaters. It opened very small and then advanced. It did incredibly well, though. Domestically, meaning North America, it made $8 million. Internationally, fifty nine. Which is a total of sixty-eight million dollars, but with inflation, that's one hundred and five million dollars that this movie made. So. Pretty good, I would say, return on uh, what I'm assuming. Uh, I would be surprised if this movie costs more than $20 million to make, but that's just my my guess. Its plot description from IMDb is, Young Esteban wants to become a writer and also to discover... Also, sorry, side note, before I do this, if you've not seen this movie, this is a huge spoiler that they put in the <laughs> plot description. Uh, so you're warned. So, young Esteban wants to become a writer and also discover the identity of his second mother, a trans woman, carefully concealed by his mother, Manuela. So, that is definitely the plot of the movie, but also, I think, kind of a spoiler to the movie as well. Yeah, kind of. It stars Cecilia Roth as Manuela, Penelope Cruz as Hermana Rosa, Maria, sorry, Marissa Paredes as, as Uma Orojo. Is it Rojo or Rojo? Rojo. Rojo. Tony Canto as Lola. So let's talk about this, those four uh, actors and actresses. So let's start with Tony Canto, who was born January 14th, 1965. And I want to be very clear at the very beginning, is not a trans woman. So his first starring role was in the film Oficio de Muchachos in 1986, playing the role of Juan. He would go on to be in many Spanish shorts and television shows. One of the more high-profile films was Your Name Poisons My Dreams, which was somewhat successful internationally. Uh, Certainly this film that we're talking about helped with his resume, but in the early 2000s, he would return to Spanish television to be on a few shows, most notably Seven Vidas, where he appeared in 62 episodes. It was a Spanish uh, sitcom. The last major film he was in was called The Last Match in 2013. You've probably not seen a lot of him in recent years, although he still does act occasionally because of his political aspirations. He was part of the UPYD party, which stands for Union, Progress and Democracy Party, which he won a seat for in 2011 in the Valencia province. They are strong union and very anti-nationalism. That's part of their platform. But he became kind of a, a critic of that party, resigned eventually, and then is very critical of the now president of that party. Uh, so he's now part of the Citizens Party and was elected to the Spanish Congress in 2015. So that's kind of what he's been all about here for the last few years. Spain's Al Franken. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I, I don't know if it's in, in exactly the same uh, same format. Hopefully but, not know, too much like Al mm-hmm. Franken. That's right. We did, hopefully not the same ending to Al Franken. <laughs> 
Do you, Jose, do you know much about Spanish politics? Like, I know next to nothing. Um, so. Not that recently. Um, yeah. If you were asking me, like, oh, maybe mid-20th century Spanish politics. Right. I was going to say, like, like, I know the Franco regime, and then that's about where my knowledge about Spain ends. Yeah, exactly. It's just, like, recently it's just, like, a mess of, like, provinces trying to separate from that's right. other. It's not yeah, too much. It's kind of being ripped apart. Marissa Paredes uh, was born April 3rd, 1946. She began acting as a teenager. Her first credit is an uncredited appearance in the film 091 Policia El Habla. But she would go on to be in such things as Cradle Song, Life Goes On, El Perro, and Their Golden Years. Plus, as seems to be a recurring theme on this show, a lot, a lot of television roles for a good portion of her career. Uh, she would begin working with Almodovar in the 1980s. Their first pairing was in a movie called Dark Habit, whose plot description is a nightclub singer seeks refuge with gay nuns on dope in a Madrid convent. Yes, please. I want to see that movie so bad after that plot description. <laughs> Cinema. By this time, she was being recognized as one of Spain's great actresses. In 1992, she won numerous awards as lead actress in the, high, sorry, in the film High Heels, another Almodovar film. And she would appear in the Italian film Life is Beautiful a couple of years before All About My Mother. After which, she would continue partnering with Almodovar in Talk to Her and The Skin I Live In. The last film you may have seen her in was the 2019 film Apasar de Todo. Its plot description is four quite different sisters, all with their own little secrets, attend their mom's funeral in Madrid. The will reveals that their dad is not their biological dad, and they are sent on a quest together to find their biological fathers. Penelope Cruz. I'm going to guess, Dave, you know about Penelope Cruz at the very least. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, had strong opinions about her for a long time in my life. Oh, like yeah. negative opinions? Yeah, I just like How her. dare you? Yeah. How dare you? Why? Yeah. <laughs> what did she do to you? Uh, personally, I was just on the street here the other day and... Uh, <laughs> she spit at me. <laughs> yeah, she would actually, probably. I don't know. I think that, yeah, she blew up in America with the Tom Cruise Scientology connection. Um, mm. And I just, I don't know, I, until I saw her in a movie where she could, where she was actually speaking Spanish, I never caught on to her as an English speaking uh, sort of actress here. Um, it's kind of like how I think of, uh, what's his name? Colin, uh, one of the Collins, the Irish one. Firth? Farrell? No. Uh, Farrell. Farrell, yeah. yeah. And uh, how I just thought he was a block of wood until I watched uh, In Bruges. And then mm. I realized that... Once he doesn't have to use that part of his brain to mimic uh, these weird American accents and he can open up, um, he's actually quite a, I mean, that movie he was fantastic and it was award worthy. And my, my strong opinion of Colin Farrell is that he should stick to comedies instead of dramas. And that might have been part of it too. Um, yeah, uh, so have you seen The Lobster? Have you watched The Lobster oh, at all? He's so Either good in The Lobster. He's, he's great in that. I think he's so hilarious in that movie. All right. Well, Penelope Cruz was born April 28th, 1974. So uh, happy birthday to her coming up here pretty quickly. Her first role was in the 1992 film, uh, Jaman Jaman, in the role of Sylvia. This is also where she would marry her eventual husband, um, Javier. Javier Bardem, because uh, he was also in that movie. Uh, she began acting in Spanish cinema, but very quickly was able to get roles in English films. She had an uncredited appearance in the High Low Country released also in 1999. So she was beginning to go into English films even in this year. Her appearance in this film, though, uh, helped break her out. She would be, in the next few years, All the Pretty Horses, Blow, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, and Vanilla Sky. I am probably one of five people who likes the movie Vanilla Sky. <laughs> this also, by the way, is probably where she started her romance with Tom Cruise. Different spelling of the last name, of course, but... As far that as was we a know. Weird three years, wasn't it? When uh, they were dating. Oh, yeah. But what a weird couple. <laughs> uh, she's continued to be a working actor, going back and forth between Spanish and English films. Most recently, she was in another Almodovar film called Pain and Glory, which starred Antonio Banderas. And as I said before here, uh, that film was nominated for Best International Feature. Banderas was nominated for Best Actor. But I mean, Parasite was too big of a juggernaut this year for anything to kind of break through. The next possible thing you'll see here in is a film called 355, described as a spy thriller movie with a diverse female cast playing international agents. That's what that movie's about. Nope. Uh, also, Cruz owns a clothing store in Madrid and designs jewelry and handbags with her younger sister for a company in Japan. So, fun little fact. Random. By Penelope Cruz. 
Cecilia Roth was born August 8th, 1956. Her first acting role was in the Argentinian film. And this is going to be, I'm so sorry. Uh, Notocas de la Nina. Uh, she would soon after flee Argentina because of a military dictatorship, kind of, you know, like you do. Uh, once in Spain, she appeared in the that, Green Meadows. That's actually acclaim. referenced in the in the movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, they talk about her. Yeah, like, I mean, she, yeah, yeah. she mentions that. Kyle, yeah. how could you forget actually, that? We just watched it. We in just front watched of the it. Machine. Like, that's, that's true. <laughs> Come uh, on. I mean, I mean, that's actually also a staple of Almodovar films, where he brings in a lot of stuff from like his own life and his actresses' lives oh, into yeah. the actual writing of the films. Um, so yeah, she was in the Green Meadows and the, to great acclaim, and then a film called Rage. She also appeared in many Almodovar films, being dubbed an Almodovar girl. Uh, she's also been the muse of Fito Paez, a popular Argentinian musician and film director. They were married for a while, but divorced in the early 2000s. In recent years, she has been in many soap operas and TV shows. Uh, you'll be able to see her in The Intruder, a German film described as a young woman who, after a traumatic episode during a trip with her partner, begins to confuse herself between the real and the imaginary. That's what that movie is going to be about. But in German, so it'll be fun. Written and directed by Pedro Almodovar. He was born September 25th, 1949. Uh, speaking of dictatorships, Almodovar came into prominence after the fall of the Franco regime in Spain. Uh, he began making films in 1980, but it would be women on the verge of a nervous breakdown that he gained international acclaim. Straight from Wikipedia, his films are marked by his employment of certain actors and creative personnel, complex narratives, melodrama, pop culture, popular songs, irreverent humor, strong colors, and glossy decor. Uh, so that's kind of his his thing. That's uh, made, it's like a check, yeah, major, check, 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 and check. Uh, major themes are desire, passion, family, and identity. Often he is celebrated as, ch as a champion for women in film, as well as breaking the door open for more Spanish cinema to be enjoyed worldwide. Uh, he is gay and has been with his boyfriend since 2002. Uh, that is photographer Fernando Iglesias. They live in separate houses in Madrid, which, to be honest, is kind of my dream. How healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just have like, even if it was like at the end of the block and then you could just visit each other. It'd be great. Jose, be I think I've seen Kyle smile more in social isolation than I have in person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's really enjoying the separate, uh, separate house thing. That's I right. Mean, I can just in I can instantly be home when I'm done talking with you, David. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our guest here first, Jose. Just as a general overview, what uh, are your feelings about this film? I think that just like with any Almodovar movie, my connection to it is always on sort of like the passion for identity that you mm. see in the movies, because his movies are not like, which is something that you see a lot in like a lot of Hollywood movies, is like this thriller action thriller but staring a woman or like oh it's this romance but it's gay no it's mm -hmm. all about the movie is not like itself in spite of it's mm -hmm. like it just is it's just like no this is literally just the story about women and we don't need we don't need women or gay people or anything else that we that are the subject of this to be anything else anything other than what they are shamelessly and I just think on just a superficial level, I feel like that's already just very bald. It's mm. especially because it's not like that's a recent thing. He's just been doing that since the 80s. Yeah. And I have to agree with that, where at least in the couple of films that I have now seen uh, from him, that there are like these very different types of characters and people and sexualities and genders that are just in the films. It doesn't feel like they're calling attention to it necessarily. It's just like. This is what this world is. This world is populated yeah. by these people. So why don't we just tell their stories at the same time? There's no need to justify it. It just, mm. it is what it is. It's just very bold and it's something that you don't see a lot. And um, just going a little bit beyond that, all about my mother specifically about like, well, it's about many things, but one of the most prominent things is that it's about our connection to like the people who make part of our lives. You know, and it's like uh, the people who influence our lives and who help us become who we are, even if we don't even know them or like met mm -hmm. them, which is very clear in like the main character. I think it's just very it's like a filmmaker doing like a love letter to the people who made him and removing himself from the picture, kind of like literally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just found that very intriguing, even from the first time that I watched it, that I didn't quite get it. I mm -hmm. was like, there's something here. 
and I'm not sure I'm ready to, to figure it out. And then wh whenever I revisited it, it just kept hitting me in different ways. And it was like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. It's just absolutely wonderful. I love it. Dave, what layers did you find in this movie? Uh, I usually prefer three, three <laughs> layers. Uh, three or less is yeah, what I want. Yeah, no. That's interesting to hear it described that way. I, I remember uh, as we were just, well, actually, as I was just watching it, definitely thinking to myself that there's this sense, uh, probably a continental European thing, that the idea of a drama is almost like we're, we're starting to see this thing where you just put a camera on a person and we're just traveling with them in this period of set time. On the other hand, when you describe the intro of his work, the prefix prefix of melodrama, which is that there's also this counterbalance where I guess with the North American adjectives would be the seedy underworld of, you know, the sex uh, industry and, um, you know, all of this stuff. Uh, this It's not corruption, but, uh, you know, moral, um, amoral things. They're heightened and exaggerated. I mean, I remember when it started, I thought the son was a sociopath. <laughs> there's, there's something so off-putting about the way he's shot and his relationship with his mother and the way that he speaks to his mother that for the first 10 minutes, I, I was a little bit at sea. And then towards the end, I, I felt a little bit, I, I kind of lost it a little bit too. I, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's shot really well. It's a beautiful thing. Um, the characters are great and they're fully dimensional. They're, they have so much depth and, and fascinating uh, uh, backstories, but I was a little trapped. It's another interesting yeah. thing to hear you guys talking about Almodovar's focus on women and um, transgender and homosexual sort of experiences because uh, the complete and utter lack of a heterosexual sort of uh, character in it uh, for me is is fascinating, like male. I think by the end, I was just kind of a little caught off guard, to be honest with you, uh, that the only scene is with the father who's suffering from dementia where, or something, mm. whatever his, uh, I'm presuming dementia, where his lines actually felt so alien. Like, it, it, it really mm. caught me off guard, likely intentionally so, but I mean, he was just so, I, I couldn't understand what that relationship was uh, supposed to be. Now, now take that feeling of non-representation and pretend that it took 60 years for any type of representation to be uh, a yeah, part of I your I guess so, identity. but uh, I mean, there's, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, we live in an age where everything needs to, to be defined by this idea that yeah, I know, uh, I know. nobody got their peace uh, their whole life, which is, you know, uh, true in the lens of, yeah, like broader gender and sexual rights, et cetera. But here's a movie where, you know, I I look at this and I don't think that uh, the director is intending for this to be a blockbuster. This is a very personal mm -hmm. project. Oh, sure. And this is a narrative yeah. that, like you said, uh, maybe he's got the the loose skeleton of it and then as the actors are cast or his uh, his people come around, they're inputting pieces of the, I mean, it, it's such a strong connection to the the idea of uh, escaping Argentina and, uh, and then settling in Spain. I mean, that's seems a little random it's a great depth to the woman's backstory in the film but hearing that the woman uh, the actress also actually experienced that you can see there's an organic nature and i think it really shows in the characters but uh, mm. yeah there's, there's a couple of things that you've just brought up that i want to explore a little bit more which is the idea of how we're supposed to look at esteban at the very beginning here at least uh, are either of you familiar with the french canadian a filmmaker Xavier Dolan at yeah. all? Yeah, yeah. No. So I, I'm a big fan of his as well. Uh, also has well, he was like this big wonder kid. Like he was starting to make films like 16 years old. He went old to Con like, at 19 at with 19, a directorial like, debut. It's yeah, it's in which crazy. he acted and wrote, and it's just like insane. He's made some of my favorite uh, Canadian films, specifically. I think he's great. But um, and I killed my he mother. He made a film my favorite. Yes. I mean, I Killed My Mother, which is one of his earlier films. That's almost what I thought this was going to be. Like, he had a very antagonistic relationship with his own mother, and that's been brought into his own work a lot of, like, uh, gay kid, like, really combative with uh, uh, an older woman. <laughs> like, there's that recurring theme happens a lot in his work. And so I honestly thought that that was where this was going because this is my own bias. Like, I, that's what I read the Esteban character as, is was like a gay teen. 
I don't know if that's ever actually said explicitly in the film if he was or not. I don't think I mean, it's he's really obsessed with Tennessee Williams. I think he's gay. Right, yeah. uh, Tru- <laughs> Truman Capote. Either way. Yeah. And Truman and Capote. Truman Capote and, and yeah. Garcia Lorca. It's like. Yeah. All this, gay writers. I'm sorry. Right? This kid is gay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's that was my interpretation for sure. Uh, but but whether he is or not, I think that what is nice is that there is such this loving relationship between him and his mother. Like this, she does not care if that is the truth. I don't think uh, she allows him to do all this stuff. Maybe even to the detriment of their uh, of of him, which is like she allows too much <laughs> for him to do too much type of stuff. So it was just an interesting relationship that I saw. The the other thing though that I want to delve into a little bit deeper is kind of your point, Dave, about the depiction of sex workers specifically, which is at one hand, I feel like they are all portrayed as like these are real, complicated characters with good points, bad points, and everything in between. And yet, I don't think it lets them up. This is not some, like, fancy version, say, like, a pretty woman is, right? Where it's like, that's a very idealized version of what uh, someone yeah. who is turning tricks on, on the street is going to be like. Uh, or what their or what their uh, life is going to be like. So, like, when we are first introduced to her, like, in that car, going around, yeah, trying to find... That could have been shot in Calgary. There's so many roundabouts here. Well, so many roundabouts, yeah. But... Uh, but a scene that I was like super uncomfortable with, like the almost murder, like in front of our eyes that they kind of just hit him in the head with a rock and he walks off, uh, which I think is kind of there for a bit of laughs. But at the same time, like this is really like in your face. This is, they're not pulling punches here as far as what this reality of these people are. It's not a, not a safe or like a great life that you're, you're living in. And I think that that scene is very deliberate in that stories about like, Trans women and trans sex workers is a lot of the stories always revolve around like violence against them, mm. either that or shaming them. And I think that there's just something very quietly subversive about her introduction being that and then being abandoned. It's like, like you said, it's like, oh, he's hit and then he just walks away. And then she's from then on, that's like a, that's like a way to saying she was, she's not going to be defined by what she does or the violence of other people against her. She's her own person and she lives beyond this, like she's more than her problems and it doesn't have to be in your face about it. It's just very Mm -hmm. like quietly introducing us to her and is like, yeah, I mean, she's still going to laugh about it and she keeps going and that's not the only thing there is to her. Uh, I found myself asking why she was on this odyssey. Paul Kayestasen est podcast. I mean, there's an implication, of course, of uh, reconnecting her past. But as soon as they cut and the first thing as she lands in Barcelona is she's in a cab uh, going into the uh, off highway uh, roundabout with all the prostitutes. And when she knows and she is trying to find, I can't remember. Uh, Agrado. Yeah, right. And there's this implication that she comes from that world as well. But that's never explicitly discussed. Maybe, I don't know if it's necessary, but there's no explanation really about their true intricate uh, relationship from the past. It's kind of like, oh, 18 years, you haven't talked to me. And then slowly there's this reveal about the father. But uh, having gotten to know and spoken to a lot of uh, transgender people, or a few, I should say, here, that tension that's portrayed there, like you were talking about, uh, a life of not just violence from, let's say, living a particular type of life that's exposed, like being a prostitute, but just in terms of society, uh, there's a, a violent language around them, uh, even within uh, the broader, quote-unquote, uh, queer community. There's tension between all the groups. And the, I mean, uh, Kyle and I have discussed this uh, a little bit, I think, either on mic or off. Uh, it has always been fascinating to me as a learn a little bit more. So if this director comes from within that world and has experiences both knowing people, um, it really shows because it's it's uh, hard hitting, but it's also not, like you, you guys brought up, it's not trying to pretend it's something that it's not. It's just, I just say, hey, this is what it is. Deal with it. We're moving on to the next plot point, which for me, it was a bit jarring, frankly. I, I, I found myself taking a couple of uh, scenes before I could really just uh, let that first violent scene go and just be like, okay, well, you know, they're going well, to that's the thing. thing. It's like, this is, there is a lot of funny bits in this movie too, right? Even though there's a lot of tragedy, there's a lot of like humor that's infused into it. So I don't think it's supposed to be super depressing the entire time. Yeah. There's a lot of finding humor and tragedy in like Almodovar movies in general, that kind of idea of like remaining humorous and 
throughout is is very frequent in his work and definitely this movie is is full of those little moments of like a punchline mm. but it, at no point does it like minimize it just goes with a melodrama it's not like trying to soften it's not like oh let's lighten the mood a bit it's more like that's just how these people like I think it comes from a, a perspective of almost wisdom. I mean, whether it's from him or his writers, uh, maybe it's more of, a, again, a continental culture versus North America. The lines aren't painted as, like, it's not so defined. So, you, like you were bringing up uh, at the beginning, Jose, like, a psycho thriller has to exactly follow these plot points and no one is allowed to laugh and don't make direct eye contact. But this is more of a film about life where everything has to be intermingled because if you don't cry, then you don't know how to appreciate laughter, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely felt that depth to the writing for sure. You know, uh, the, this is a bias of mine that I'm going to admit to. I wonder if this is in a language that I don't speak that I can accept the melodrama even more so. Because I find that in English melodrama, I'm usually, I don't know, I feel like I, I can only take the art like at an arm's distance almost where I can't fully like lock into it 100%. We're cartoon characters though, our culture. That's true. Right. Like, I mean, I guess soap operas are like the closest example that I have to that, which is like, okay, I'm never actually really feeling this. I might be interested in the plot of the movie or the TV show, but I can't lock in emotionally to it. Whereas this one, I did lock in emotionally to it. So I don't know what it was that was different on this one specifically. I think that a lot of it comes from the way that Almodovar like specifically frames the whole story. I feel like he grounds himself he embraces the melodrama instead of like trying to shy away from it or try to like stylize it beyond recognition because it's like the thing that melodrama usually only works emotionally if it's framed in a specific way like uh old movies do this a lot and like either sh- hiding the melodrama or trying to disguise it but like Almodovar just fully embraces it and um I think it just works because the melodrama is not like uncalled for. It all stems from like these very real emotions that the characters are always feeling. Melodrama is the only way to do these emotions justice because they feel like larger than life, like this heartache, this loneliness, this like obsession. They all feel to the characters like larger than life. And melodrama is a way to like portray them in a way that comes across as how it feels. Maybe we need to add uh, sort of props to all the actresses then. I mean, uh, it's one thing to write and structure it, but uh, there isn't a weak performance. Uh, It is a fascinating thing to watch every single character Yeah, be so fully realized, maybe like outside of the development. Even the dog was great. The dog was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the scene, there's the scene where all of them are in the apartment together, like all the women yeah and it's just such a beautiful scene because it's just them just like laughing around and like a dirty things it's just like and it it begins with such tension too because there's the reveal and you think as in my north american culture mind that there's going to be a fight right because it's just like you've been fucking lying to me and you know take your goddamn except they become friends right exactly fascinating and it's it's so it just feels so human because all of the actresses inhabit their characters so well. It's just it all feels so organic and so natural because they're fully embracing like the craziness, quote quote unquote, of the whole scenario. And I think it's just it's just wonderful to look at. It's just great acting always. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to zero in on one performance in particular, just because I find it fascinating that they even included this storyline into it, which is the Penelope Cruz character specifically. Oh, yeah. Because here is a nun who has a relationship with a transgender woman and ends up in having a baby. Uh, And then, spoiler alert, dies at the end. Like, this is a a very tragic story. And yet, again, she is uh, filled with so much beauty and grace and the entire thing. Like, this is not like a tragedy the entire way. Like, that is a shock at the end when she does not survive childbirth. How how do you interpret this character, Jose? I think that it all comes from, like, the very beginning. It's it's all in the very beginning, um, the streetcar named Desired, and the, the line that I've always depended on, the kindness of strangers. And that line keeps coming back throughout the movie. Um, like a bit of a motif and I think that she's like the ultimate representation she's selfless and she's kind to um, uh, Manuela Mm -hmm. Uh, she's kind to her from the get-go and uh, she just has a lot of empathy for who she thinks is a sex worker I feel like throughout the whole movie 
her character is just grounded in that kind of kindness, helping others. And uh, even if it's just, even if she's just sick at home without being able to do anything, she's very emp- empathetic with um, Uma, when she, Uma when she shows up. And um, that's such an interesting way to ground a character. And Penelope Cruz is wonderful in it. She taps into this very humane, like, not to overuse kindness, but like, that's just who she is. And it's just so interesting because, like you said, it's so tragic. Mm. And yet she always remains positive and but not in like a, oh, she fought till the very end kind of way. It's more like at no point did she stop caring about others despite her own condition, like we develop ourselves as people out of the kindness of strangers. Have either of you seen Streetcar Named Desire or read Streetcar Named Desire? Yeah. Um, a while back. Long time okay. ago. I, yeah. I, I only bring that up because I agree with everything you say, Jose. That's like the last line of Streetcar Named Desire, basically. I always depend on the kindness yeah. of strangers, which is a very tragic line because Ironic, it's said yeah. by a character who has never had kindness shown to yeah, her. Like, constantly irony. does not have right. kindness. She wants there to be kindness in the, in the life. And this one is like the ultimate version of like, man, wouldn't it be great if we could live in a society where we depended on the kindness of strangers? Like, it's mm. almost this inversion of what Streetcar is even about. Do you, I don't know. Do, I mean, uh, I'll jump in and ask... This question, I mean, uh, when I'm watching, particularly Penelope Cruz's end character, but reflecting on the whole thing, you guys are seeing a narrative of almost a heroism, and I think it's the opposite. I think they all mm-hmm. suffer for the decisions that they're making. You know, recently with all of the, you know, personal work, I came across this concept of uh, sort of poisonous people-pleasing, when you put the needs of others before yourself and your loved ones, and you see that throughout this film. I mean... All of these people, even in their moments of compassion, empathy, are destroying their own lives, everybody around them. There are, of course, these moments of like happiness and brevity and friendship, companionship and beauty, but they all come to tragic ends. I mean, there isn't a single one of them that walks out, I think. I mean, I could, maybe I'm just a dour, cynical, uh, awful human being, but... Um, well, yes, but also... <laughs> I, uh, I walk out thinking... Um, yeah, that I've witnessed something that's moving and beautiful, but in its tragedy. I mean, Penelope Cruz, I looked at as written as this ultra naive, I think intentionally compared to her father who has dementia, uh, she has no grasp on reality whatsoever. I mean, even when they're questioning why she wants to go to El Salvador, you can see she, she doesn't actually want to go, right? It's just this weird thing for her that she's escaping something. And then when you enter her house, she comes from wealth and, you know, it looks like her, her family is in this palatial uh, apartment estate with these huge ceilings. Her mother looks like a fine art, something, something. Mm. So there for me, I'm watching it and I'm thinking like, here's this spoiled, naive, you know, young woman, even to the point where she falls allegedly in love with a transvestite prostitute who turns out again, a spoiler alert to be HIV positive who is known to her to be a depraved person who breaks things and runs and steals and all these things. And somehow she still conceives a child. I mean, that's not even explained. The love story is not even explained because it's not important anymore. She's already done the deed. So uh, maybe it's my lifelong uh, attention with Penelope Cruz, but I'm watching and I'm like, come on, like get a grip. You know, like <laughs> how many more well, mistakes do you have to make that everybody, like she tries to, you know, five-year-old guilt trip uh, Manuela into getting her to move into her apartment. You know, just be like giving her sad face and puppy dog eyes. It's, it's crazy. Well, I wonder if there's a bit of both going on here, which is like, do you think that ultimately what this movie says to you is like, don't try and help people or is it help people, but in a proper way? Like, what do you think ultimately the movie is trying to say about these friendships? For me, I think it's a North American idea that a movie is trying to tell you to do something. And I think for me, when I'm walking away from this, like uh, the sense of what a drama maybe ought to be is uh, I didn't really get a sense that um, the director or the script or the movie is trying to tell me that there's a right or wrong way to live my life. I think it was more just these are a series of events that happen to these exceptional people, none of whom I can actually understand from my own perspective. So I, I didn't leave it thinking like, anybody had done anything specifically wrong, that there's no specific villain. I mean, they even do the redemption of the uh, father character at the end, uh, which I'm actually not upset by. You know, if, if I actually mm. bought into either 
a black and white sort of approach to this. I might have been offended by that. This idea that this person can harm so many people, have these children that he has he or she at that point has no uh, intent on being around, uh, but gets to have this last moment. It's just I, I found myself more actively and engagingly just watching it, and then uh, and then appearing in this room and having to speak with the two of you. So, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I think there is some truth to the fact that the movie is not necessarily asking you to do anything about it. Oh, you should be kind to other people too. Um, because I think, and the the last, um, the dedication of the movie, I think is a hint to this, is that it's more like a thank you than mm-hmm. like an instruction. Because it's, it's yeah, it's, yeah to, be- to Betty Davis, Jenna Rollins, Romy Schneider, to all the actresses who played actresses, to all women who act, to all men who act, uh, uh, act and become women to all the people who went to be mothers to my mother i think that just speaks to like the nature of the movie itself uh a love letter not only to the aforementioned kindness but it's also to like his inspiration like i mean again <laughs> he's thanking general general Rollins and uh betty davis and it's like mm-hmm. this whole idea of like this man who was shaped by art specifically by women in art it's like this idea of thanking these larger-than-life melodramatic figures mm-hmm. who left an impact on him, and he sees this as kindness. And then there's some naivete to that, like you said, that of like seeing this art, which in like a larger context is just the product of an American movie studio, mm-hmm. but seeing this art that showed kindness to him at some point. <laughs> going back to the thing, I do think that she's naive, and I think that that's not... I, I don't think the movie sees that as either good or bad. It's not asking us, like you said, to do anything about it, and it's instead just, like, just encouraging kindness, not in our everyday lives necessarily, but to the characters that we're seeing. And it's like, and it's like you said, that, like, uh, even, even um, Este- Esteban's, like, parent lola she gets her redemption at the end i think that's very just important it's like yeah she did this bad things but she's not a monster she's a person and we at least owe her the kindness of seeing her as such and she's like a nun who helps sex workers there might be a commentary in catholicism there too yeah and i, I think it's like i think it's I think it's very interesting that she's a Catholic nun in Spain who's just so caring about these people, you know? And it's like, and she's so non-judgmental about it that just speaks to her own kindness towards other people despite the system that she's a part of. Or her mother. <laughs> or her mother, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, well, to, to feed off of that, so at least the English translation of this movie is called All About My Mother. What mother are they talking about in that title? Is that the Manuela character we follow for some of the movie? Or is that the ultimate revelation of the other mother in that relationship who is actually the father? Like, who is the All About My Mother in this case? I think that it's, it's interesting that, first of all, the title is a reference to All About Eve. Right. And it, the, it's in first person. Even though the only character, well, I mean, there's Penelope Cruz's, but like her mother is not imp- not that important. The only character, oh snap! <laughs> <laughs> the only character who's who actually has like a mother who's present is the character who dies within five minutes. Mm. Um, so I think it's the mother. I mean, the easy way to say this is, oh, it's Almodovar's mother. It's an homage to his own mother. He says it himself in the end. But I think that he widens the definition of mother to mean all of the women who had an impact in his life. And they're all represented in different ways. There's the old classical actress and there is the caring nun. And then there is like, because also Catholicism and you saw that in Pain and Glory is also like a frequent in Almodovar. And it's never evil like in a lot of queer filmmakers of it's definitely like just like a presence both positive and negative in his life all of these characters again like classical actress the the caring mother the selfless nun they're all these representations of mothers or Mm -hmm. women who want to be mothers or women who act like their mothers like literally manuela acts her way into being a mother again i think that's the the titular role the 
titular mother. It's pun like intended. Of- yeah, I gotta throw a cow. I gotta throw in a pun intended there. Oh, I think it's just interesting that there's like more than one. It's like the ti- the title is singular, but like mm-hmm. there's more than one. I think. Dave, do you have anything to add on to that? Yeah, I I agree with you. I think I would frame it as um, the role we the role that's expected or people play as uh, a mother and. Hearing you explain it uh, character by character, Jose, I think it uh, became clear to me that maybe there's an intent for each of the roles to represent different definitions that either he himself, ha- or I don't know if he, is he the single credited writer of the film as well? Yeah, okay. he wrote and directed, um, yeah. So, um, that he himself uh, experienced, wished for, heard about that the women in the film brought to him. But as I was sort of downplaying the concept of a the naive and foolish nun, I mean, that is a way that women may see themselves when they become mothers. The sacrificial lamb in the Catholic vernacular, I suppose, uh, or Abrahamic anyways, to go out and nothing that happens to me, I can, I'll die even giving childbirth as long as this thing, ha- you know, as long as everybody else is safe. Um, and so there's a point and counterpoint and you have to be left with your own definition. There's going to be people walking out of the theater that are uh, absolutely offended, much like uh, that weird little soliloquy that, again, I can't remember her name, uh, does in place of the actresses on the stage. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, you see he d- deliberately shoots uh, older uh, members of the audience leaving as soon as they see that this transvestite woman is about to <laughs> uh, have a biographical uh, moment. But I think there's a reflection there too, where it's, you know, he's not looking for you to agree or disagree. I think all about my mother's, I, maybe we're reading too much into it, but I, I suspect something along those lines. That's just about uh, not just motherhood, because it's not a maternal movie, but I think it's about the psychological aspect of the roles that we play. I mean, we do it too. Uh, I, I have a kid and uh, who I am is Dave the dad, Dave the friend, Dave the husband, Dave for himself, Dave uh, who podcasts. That's not a real Dave. Um, <laughs> they're all different. And it, when you start playing too many of those roles, that's when your life starts to suffer. The, the sense I get about this is that there's now like four different video essays I want to make about this movie. Because <laughs> that's how you know as, it's good. As we, yeah. yeah it I know. Because you as you're discussing, it's like, oh yeah, that, like, that fires off um, an idea this way. And like, oh, I'm sure that we could like spend an entire podcast talking about like the roles people play in this movie and like, what does that say about them? And like, you know, that type of thing. There's a lot to talk about, which is exciting. That usually is a mark of a great movie, in my opinion, <laughs> yeah, where it's like you could like that. talk about for a while. What I want to get to is what we a lot of times ask on this show, which is, let's say it's 1999 and you actually went and saw this in 1999. Now, my sense is, Jose, I don't know this to be true. I think you are younger than Dave or I. So, uh, <laughs> do you mean how old would you? I would have been two years old in 1999. Oh my right. god! Okay, what? <laughs> That's what I thought. Uh, you look at least five years older than that. Oh so. my god! Thank you. It's the, it's the quarantine induced beard. <laughs> right 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 uh dave where's your beard uh fuck you kyle yeah (laughs) raise no i'm just joking yeah Uh, no it's just this is it this is like a couple days Uh, it's a couple days people can't hear it but here i can scratch it on the mic a little bit (laughs) scratch it on the (laughs) mic great foley art right there so yeah at two years old you probably wouldn't have had much to say about this movie um dave what what would you have felt do you think in 1999 if you'd seen this movie yeah that's a tough one i i think that i don't know if i would have had Let's call it wisdom is is pretentious to call myself wise now, but I I wouldn't have the wisdom of the age and the life that I've experienced now. Uh, so it's hard for me to know that I would have seen like in this conversation uh, the broader stroke, the wide angle of this as maybe social commentary, and I might have gotten trapped up too much in the drama itself. Culturally speaking, ninety nine at least the way I'm looking at it, again as a Toronto raised kid you know, I'm 20, whatever, what did we just 22 maybe? And looking at the world and something like this pops up on the radar as a European film. Number one, the type of people that I would have access to is a very small community. That's, this is not a movie that, you know, you'd go to a Cineplex Odeon and pay <laughs> $25 for D-box seats. So um, already the broad culture could not, I hey, don't think. The, the, by the way, this in Rumble seats though, is like <laughs> chef's kiss. It's amazing. With the, the new shit with the air, aromatherapy stuff. <laughs> that's right, the aroma. Like yeah, they're yeah. In, the, in the roundabout and you can smell the sex. No, you can smell yeah, it, yeah. I think it would have been 
a fantastic thing for the uh let's call it the intellectual movie viewers they would have eaten this shit up but i think for the broad stroke i don't think north america is prepared for a movie like this it's it it almost comes off cold you know because mm. there's no moralization and there's no finger pointing and there's no blame i, I don't know if 1999 that, that have being said i mean not to be like super congratulatory of them because they always like to do like one step forward three steps back but uh the oscars did give this best international feature that year oh. when it came out uh, one. Like it won. Okay. all right <laughs> uh so they they at least got that right i disowned i disowned the oscars well before penelope cruz so yeah <laughs> true, yeah, true yeah. enough <laughs> um this is a weird uh, i don't know comparison to make because they're very different movies but uh so last night i rewatched the movie the birdcage which i'm a big fan of and I remember watching that as like a 12 year old and being like, ooh, this is like, like this illicit, like Edgy, naughty movie right. that it's like they're, they're talking about gay people and they're not making fun of them necessarily. Like they're just like regular people. I feel like this because I would have been 15 when this movie came out. So I would have been like, like it would have blown my mind. Like a thousand percent would have blown my mind. Like back then as like this closeted queer kid, I would have been like, I don't know how to take this where people are just being themselves and allowed to be what they are and it's not being looked down upon so i think there's that portion of it and i think though you're right dave like even then i don't think i would have been uh intellectually mature enough to really connect with this on like the emotional level i would have been still a bit too focused um uh, focused on the surface level now as an adult though like i'm zeroing in i'm like uh, of like all the different characters and I can see their foibles and I can see the things that they're doing well and like you feel bad for this kid who dies like very uh, young you? before he's I mean, able to he's such a dick right like <laughs> just won't listen to his mom and what do you expect's gonna happen you gotta I mean, look both ways yeah. before to, you cross to, to be the fair street. I was more of a Joan Crawford kid so <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> here's here's the next question Jose do you think this has anything to teach us here in you know the year 2020 of our lord um, I think so. First of all, I think that there's a lot of, as always, the, the conversation about representation in media and the stories that we tell is in full swing. I mean, it's never not been, I guess, because we continue to have strides. And even when we do, there's a lot of gray to it. So it's like, I don't know, like you can have like a movie like Carol. Mm. which is like this gorgeous lesbian love story that is very well regarded. But at the same time, it's directed by Todd Haynes. And then you have like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is like a lesbian story directed by a lesbian filmmaker. And that doesn't that doesn't make Carol any less of a movie. It just means that we are getting a new perspective and that's valid. Um, and I think that in what Carol succeeds, for example, is the framing, because then you have like Dallas Buyers Club, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is. It's a story about like the HIV crisis, but it needs, it feels the need to ground itself on a straight character to tell the story. And if you take a look at All About My Mother, uh, like I, I think I said earlier, Almodovar's stand-in character, because most of his movies always have him as a stand-in character. Uh, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory is very mm -hmm. obvious. And uh, his stand-in character, like this like gay teenage writer he literally removes himself from the narrative in the first five minutes he literally kills himself in the narrative and allows the women in his life to take center stage obviously it's important for uh women to be able to tell women's stories and like queer people to be able to tell queer queer stories but that doesn't mean that if like this man wants to make a movie about the women in his life which for example it's like uh, mike mills's 20th century women which is also a note to the women in his life. I think that it's always very important the way that we frame it. I think that this movie is just a wonderful example of that because his character literally dies pursuing an autograph by the actress he loves. We ourselves tell stories. How do we remove ourselves from them? How do we make them come across as not like self-aggrandizing? How do we tell stories about the things we love without making ourselves the center of it? That's something that Dave and I have actually discussed here a couple of times. I know on this podcast is uh, relooking at some movies from 1999 in a 2020 context. We're like, oh, you know what the issue with this movie is? It's not the person they're focusing on. It's not actually their story to tell. It would actually be better if we could actually get this from a different perspective because uh, there's some sort of good points in here. It just doesn't hold up um, <laughs> after, you know, 20 some years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Boys Don't Cry came out in 1999, and I think that's an interesting example of that. 
Yeah, we're, we we might be able to talk about that. I don't know. Who knows what the machine is going to tell us to watch yeah, next, I right? Mean. <laughs> Nosotras hemis terminado aquí. Oh, by the way, the, the machine is telling us to wrap up here. Okay. So, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Jose, for, for dropping by. But we have a few other things here. Now, this is not me saying this. This is the machine saying this. Fucking um, machine. I want you to tell me what you would rate this movie out of five, but your rating doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's only it only cares about Dave and I's ratings to form this master list we're making. But what would you give this movie out of five? I mean, I I'm a bit of a five star slut. Like I'm okay. like, oh, I love this movie. Five stars. And it's just yeah, yeah. like But <laughs> that's okay. I would I in in all honesty and just being very genuine about my feelings for this movie, just five. Five stars. It's just I love it. It's beautiful Great. and it's it just makes it made me cry so much when i <laughs> just watched it again yeah just moments ago uh dave <laughs> dave what rating are you a slut for um well uh, typically one i uh yeah you uh, you don't like anything yeah no i i don't know i'm i'm just trying to be objective here i think i i might go do we have point fives? We have point five, so you can do yes. like a five point five. No, uh, I think I would. Uh, I might go with yeah, a four four point five. I'll go four point five maybe. Oh, I might go for well, four. I don't know. I'll go for four. You, yeah, let's go for four. We go for four. Yeah, let's go okay. for four. Well, okay. Go for four. That's good. Go for four. Thank, thank, can I repeat thanks, that thanks, one more Dave. time? Go for four. <laughs> It'd be really annoying when you sync this if I just if I just keep saying go uh, for four, and then you're trying to look at the waveforms, and I just keep saying go for four. I personally did go for a 4.5 out of 5. I thought we were going to nail it once again, Dave, where we somehow get to the same it's rating every single time. What we do best, Kyle, we nail it. Uh, this is, I feel I'm eventually going to be in Jose's camp, though. This is something that happens all the time with me, where I'm like, oh, I really like that, but I, I don't know if I'm ready to give it a 5. I'm not ready to commit <laughs> to that 5, because uh, I'm precious about my 5s. <laughs> uh, but if I see this like two or three more times, I'm probably going to eventually give it a full five is what i guess is gonna happen i'm just gonna throw uh, in you know there's a biological concept about uh, accepting flavors and tastes that runs the same way that if you don't like the taste of a certain food and you repeat <laughs> eating it several times mm -hmm. that you will uh, adapt and acclimatize yourself to it so just as fair warning kyle if you watch uh, uh, anything you know five or six times there's a likelihood of softening on your numerical score so i i would <laughs> I right. just just go hard. That's my that's my uh, motto. <laughs> right. just, if you're gonna if you're gonna hit well, it, just hit it really hard. I, I've lost the metaphor by this point. That's so, no idea what uh, I'm talking about. Entering at our number three position then is all about my mother. You can see our entire list if you go to our letterbox page, which is letterboxd.com slash kdvstm, which just so happens to be also all of our social media. And when I say all of our social media, I mean Twitter and Instagram, because that is it. That is all that we're that we are on. Jose, because you are so kind to be with us here today, how could people find you on the internet if they wanted to follow what you're up to? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I'm on Letterboxd, and I write like very very dumb reviews. Uh, if you're in already in Letterboxd, it's I think it's Jose M Luna, which is also my Twitter, where you can see me just I don't know. Handing out five stars all over well, the place. No, that's what Letterboxd <laughs> is for. In Twitter, I just complain about my life and uh, tweet tweet about how much I love Ladybird. <laughs> right. Well, you know, there's something you do on Twitter that I really appreciate is that oftentimes you will tweet out like quotes from something. Oh, uh, yeah. And I always feel I always feel so smart when I know where the quote is from. I'm like, oh, oh I know where that's from. <laughs> yeah. Um. I like. I, I. I'm a quote person, and also just. Uh, that is something that I do on Twitter, but it's mostly complaining and tweeting about how much I love Ladybird. Let the record state that <laughs> I love Ladybird. I just like Greta Gerwig a lot, so that's oh, that's part for the course. Let's do a couple of trivia things here. All right, let me just push this button here and grab this little receipt. All the authors mentioned in this movie are famously gay writers, which yes. we've already mentioned, which is Truman Capote, Tennessee Williams, and Federico Garcia Lor Lorca. Yeah, uh, Garcia Lorca. Yeah, Lorca. Okay. Nice, Kyle. Uh, nice. So, you're getting, you're getting used I'm, to that I'm going to get that. Roll those R's here anytime now. And I mean, Betty Davis is also a bit of a gay icon, too, just because uh, uh, queers like their strong women. Yeah, and there's the camp aspect of it. Um, and what? Almodovar and camp? Welcome yeah, to the right. second part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh -huh. The after dark. Um, 
The monologue that uh, we mentioned, that character giving, right, when the actresses can't go on stage. So that monologue was based on a real-life event. It was when the electronic system of an Argentinian theater failed. The director suspended the show, and actress Lola Membrive, or member, oh gosh, Lola something, uh, decided to give the news to the audience and make them an offer. If they'd stay, they could listen to the narration of her life, which I think is just a really fun thing (laughs) for them to do. Okay, well, that about wraps it up here. Um, let's see what we're going to be reviewing next week, Dave. It looks like, oh, we get to watch Election. Hmm. A little a little bit of a comedy, I guess, to uh, lighten the mood after our, our hard-hitting episodes the last couple of weeks. A change in tone. All right, well, I look forward to that. Can you teach me a swear word in another language, Dave? What, what's, what's a um, naughty word you can give to me? Well, in Korean, shuba yeah. is kind of like fuck oh have we are we now are we now banned in south korea uh i don't think anyone's listening to us in south korea oh um, wow what's another language scheiße in german scheiße. Is, yeah, uh, everyone knows that one yeah. i used to know one in in cantonese but i i don't remember them. i used to watch a lot of cantonese movies what about in spanish jose i am i don't know if i already mentioned that i am colombian and colombians mm-hmm. are very creative with their insults this one is not exclusively colombian but there's just something so elegant about just calling someone pendejo 